Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey, Amarillo is brought to you by ROI Online. Most business leaders struggle with how to transition from traditional marketing into modern marketing. ROI Online has a team of experts that makes it easy. They help you make a plan, and then they do most of the work and set you up for success. ROI can guide you to success at ROIOnline.com. Today's guest is Eric Berry. Eric is an internationally recognized Spanish-American tenor. He's an opera singer, and he spent the last several years literally performing all over the world, from Carnegie Hall and Washington National Cathedral in the United States to places like Warsaw and Milan and Jerusalem all over the world. Now, Eric grew up in Sundown, Texas. He went to West Texas A&M. He lived in Amarillo for a few years before moving to the East Coast to pursue his opera career full-time. And for years, Eric was based on the East Coast. But in recent months, he's decided to return to Amarillo as he shifts his career a little, which we'll talk about in the show. Eric has a really fascinating story. He's a great storyteller. He's got a cool voice, and yes, I do get him to sing a little bit. So I'll go ahead and call it. You're going to love this episode. One disclaimer before we start, I had some audio problems in this episode. It was with my mic, not with Eric's, uh, so bear with us through that. Here's Eric Berry. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm honored. So uh, I, I want to talk about your career. I want to talk about what you do and what you have done as an international opera singer. Um, I know very few of those in, in the real world, so I, I think that'll be of some interest. But uh, before we get to that point, uh, I just want to hear your story, like growing up in this area. How, how did you get to where you are today? So take me back to the very beginning. Uh, I, I grew up in Sundown, Texas, actually, which is about 45 miles southwest of Lubbock, so more West Texas than, than Panhandle, and it's a very small town, population's around 1,000. Uh, I think my graduating class was maybe 39 people, and that was a, I think that was a pretty big year, uh, but we didn't have a choral program. We didn't have a choir there. It's basically marching band and football, like every good West Texas school should have, and so um, I played the trumpet and really enjoyed myself, and uh, was actually pretty good at it, and also took piano lessons. So I was musical at a young age, but wasn't quite sure, uh, you know, that I I didn't quite know that I had the singing talent that I that I did have, until I got to college and I came to WT and played in the marching band. And uh, one of the singers, Dr. Joella Kanzler, she came up to me and and she had you know kind of heard me humming and she said, "Are you are you a voice student?" And I said, "No, ma'am, I'm a business major. I'm just in the band." And held up my trumpet, and she uh, she introduced herself and said, "Well, you know, I'd really love to talk to you about taking voice lessons." And I said, "Thank you, thank you, but no, thank you." I, I I remember getting home from classes at night and having a voicemail in my dorm room, and she said, "Eric, this is Dr. Kanzler, and you know, I just we, we met earlier today, and I'd really I'd really love to talk with you more about taking some lessons." And she called me every week until until I accepted. And, uh, you know, I, I have a lot to thank for, for her perseverance and, and getting a return phone call from me. Um, what, do you, I, what do you think she heard in your voice just in the I, humming? I have no idea. I mean, she's a special lady. I, I think she just heard, you, you know, everybody's born with, with the instrument that they have. There's, there's some tweaking that you can do to it, and there's some training that you can do. But everybody has just a natural vocal instrument. And and I, I guess I was just blessed with with a lot of natural talent anyway. So just kind of humming or something, you know. She just heard something natural that wasn't affected 
by bad technique or something because I'd never had any technique. And so I, I went to her. She said, just come over for 30 minutes. Let's talk. And I told her about my musical background. And I told her that my mother's from Spain. So the Italian, you know, might be not so hard for me to understand. And she said, well, let's just do some some vocalises, which are just scales up and down. And I remember doing these scales and, of course, not knowing what any of the, the jargon was for singers. And she would mention this and that, and I didn't know what she was talking about. I just smiled and you know thanked her if she liked it. And uh, now looking back on it and re- remembering the conversation, you know what she was talking about for starters is in the in the, the human voice and the singing voice, you have a chest voice and a head voice. You have different registers, um, and there's a break in there called the passage. The Italians call it the passaggio, and singers will spend years working on making that a mellifluous transition from head to from chest to head and head to chest. And I just did it. I just naturally had the technique where I could sing, you know, smoothly through that. For most people, there's an abrupt break where there's it sounds crack. very there's different. Yeah. yeah, there's okay. an absolute crack. Um, and e- even in, it's not just like adolescence, you know, going through puberty. I mean, adult people, if, if they're trying to sing something, almost everybody's going to crack there. And so she called the choral director down. And I remember uh, George Biffle, uh, who's actually music director at Polk Street near us. Um, he, uh, he said he doesn't even know how good he is. Like, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's just good, and he doesn't even know it. And so that got me really excited to think I had all this talent for something I didn't really know that I could do. And so I, she said, if you want to sign up for lessons, I'll, I've got a little, you know, some scholarship money. I'll pay for it. So I took a 30-minute lesson, loved it. You know, I signed up for 30 minutes for a semester, loved it. The next semester, signed up for an hour. The next semester, there was a lady who lives here in Amarillo called Mary Jane Johnson, and she Amarillo's had, other renowned Am- opera singer. Yes, most renowned. Yes, most renowned opera singer. She came to WT to do a master class. And I had had problems breathing the right way. You know, trumpet players, you know, we breathe we breathe up high, you know, where your shoulders go up and down. And, and operatic singers breathe diaphragmatically. We breathe more out instead of up. And um, anyway, I, I was having problems breathing, which also causes support issues. It's all nerdy stuff. And Mary Jane came, and anybody who knows Mary Jane knows she's, you know, a character bigger than Texas, and she's got this huge, you know, southern accent. And, and she said, well, Eric, you lay down on the floor. And so I laid down, and she said, all right, put some of those books up on Eric's belly. And, you know, they put books on my stomach. And she said, okay, breathe, and when you breathe, move the books. And so, you know, I took this breath and, you know, specifically tried to raise the books. And she said, okay, I'm fixed. What else, you know, what else, what else do you need, you know? That just blew my mind that she could fix something in 10 minutes. And so I started taking lessons with her as well. And for a year, I took lessons with both. You know, So two lessons a week, which is pretty crazy. And uh, whenever I graduated, I just studied with, with Mary Jane exclusively. And in 2006, I was working on my MBA at this point at WT. And Mary Jane said, you know, Eric, you, you really have a, a talent for this, like a real talent. I'd had some opportunities with Emerald Opera. Myla Gibson, who founded the company and was was still running it, she you know she gave me some opportunities that I, I was just blessed to have received. You know, a lot of people wanted these coveted positions in the operas, and and Myla let me have one. And so I, I had a little bit of experience, but not much. But I had been studying pretty in, intensively, and. Mary Jane said, you need to go to the East Coast if you think that you'd ever want to do this. And if you finish your MBA and you, you know, you're going to get a job offer and you're not going to want to leave because you're comfortable here and you like it and you'll always wonder. And she said, I don't want you to be on your deathbed with regrets, just memories. And man, that hit me hard. That hit me hard. And so she was doing a recital at Carnegie Hall in 2006. And I went to New York and saw her perform at Carnegie. 
And I sang for her agent and a couple of other agents just to get a second opinion to see if it's one thing to be good in Amarillo. Right. It's another thing to show promise in, you know, in New York City. And everybody that we sang for, you know, they just you know, kind of guffawed and said, you don't have any experience. You've been studying how long? Uh, yeah, you, you should probably pursue this. And so Mary Jane knew the person who ran SUNY Purchase, which was a conservatory in New York. And um, I went to school there for a year. I was planning on going for two years. I was doing a master's. And one year through that, I got a call from uh, this lady named Doris Yarick Cross. And Doris called and left a message and said, you know, I've, I've heard about you. Somebody heard something that you, that you sang, and uh, I'd like to talk to you about an audition. It's great. So she said, call me tonight. I'll never forget. I was in tech, which is a technical week for the opera. Tech week is the last week before the show starts. And it's where the crew come in and they work on moving sets and they work on the lighting designer comes and all the technical stuff happens the last week before you open. And so these are late nights, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. And she said in the message, she said, call me as soon as you get this. I don't care what hour. I was like, oh my gosh, well, I got home at like midnight. I said, do I call this lady? She sounds older. She's definitely <laughs> going to be asleep. But I did what she said, and, and she sounded wide awake, actually, when I recall it. Um, and she said, well, Eric, my name is Doris Art Cross, and I've heard this recording of you singing this, and would you be available to come do an audition tomorrow? And I was just excited. You know, this is the first real audition opportunity I've ever had. And I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. Where is it? And she said, well, let me give you the address. And she gives me this address. So I stay up for about three more hours prepping my audition package. I, I had a, you know, a, a three-ring binder full of music that I created that night because I didn't have one. I'd never really done an audition. I you know, wrote my very short resume you know, and went to Kinko's, which was 24 hours, and printed everything out. And then my audition, I think, was at like 9 o'clock. So I slept for about three or four hours, and uh, the GPS said that this location was a little over an hour away. So I start driving to this audition, and I'm talking to my mom because I wanted to get my voice warmed up. And uh, I said, you know, I talked to her the previous night and said, do you mind if I call you while I'm driving to get my voice ready? And she said, oh, sure. So as I'm driving to this audition, I see these signs that say, you know, Yale University, 50 miles away. And I said, oh, Yale's in Connecticut. I didn't. Okay, that's pretty cool. Maybe if I'm nearby and I've got some time afterwards, I'll go look at the campus and, you know, see it. And and the closer I get, you know, Yale three miles away, and I'm like, okay, I look at my GPS, and there's three miles left on my GPS. I'm like, this is bizarre. And I pull up, and I'm pulling up to the School of Music at Yale. And I'm like, oh, am I auditioning? You know, I talked to my mom. I said, Mom, I think I'm auditioning for for Yale? I, I don't know. She hadn't mentioned it in the message. So sure enough, I walk in and, and, you know, she explains everything and she says, yeah, we've, you know, we have a position and we've heard you and we've heard promising things and we'd like to, to hear you live. And so I sang three pieces. This is at 9 a.m., mind you. Opera singers hate singing before noon. Tenors hate singing before two. But, um, you know, luckily I was warm and I did this audition and they asked me a few questions about grades and things. And, um, and I was done, 15 minutes, in and out. And I went back to my car and I thought, oh, my gosh. I don't have enough of my resume. My, my, my music was probably not put together properly. I, it's nine o'clock. I probably didn't, oh, you know, and I just, the, the drive back was strenuous. Would you have stressed more about it if you knew it was Yale going in? Probably. Oh, yeah. Would it have been yeah, a lot harder? I, I wouldn't have slept at all. But anyway, she called a couple of days later and she said, Eric, you know, we, we loved your audition. We think that you, you've got a great talent and we want you to come to Yale next year. And I said, well, that's, that's great. Awesome, you know, I'm I'm really excited. I said, well, you know, I'm one year into my master's at, at Purchase. I said, would those hours transfer? And she said, oh no, they wouldn't. If you want a degree from Yale, all of your credit hours will be from Yale. 
And I said, you know, I'm going to have to think about it. I'm not sure. Because at this point, I'm older than most people because I didn't know that I had this talent until later. And that's probably why I had some success is because I didn't have all these bad habits that I had to work through. I just started with great technique and, and you know, a teacher with a great technique. So I told her no for a little bit. And um, I thought about it and I said, you know, even if I ever wanted to do something other than singing, having a degree from Yale would probably come in pretty handy. And so I called her back and asked her some more questions, and and she said, "Well, you know, we're we're going to provide you with the full scholarship and a stipend." Wow. And I was like, "Yeah, this is I can't turn that down. I can't turn it down." So I said, "Okay, where do I sign?" And uh, so the next year, I, I left Purchase. They gave me a degree anyway, even though I didn't actually finish. Uh, finish. I probably shouldn't say that on a podcast, but <laughs> I did. I, I didn't get a master's degree there. They gave me a, an artist diploma, but still. Um, and then I did a master's at Yale, and then. I stayed on one more year and did another degree called a performer certificate. And after that, because of my business background, I had planned in advance. You know, I had all these business plans, a one, three, five-year plan, 10-year plan. And so I had booked enough work while I was at school that whenever school was out, I just hit the road. You know, I, was, I already had all these jobs lined up. What most other students do is they finish in May. Auditions are in the fall, October, November, December for the following year. Right. So if you didn't do auditions the previous fall, you don't have anything. And that puts a big gap, you know, in your calendar and then and then what do you do? You get a second job and then you quit practicing and so on and so forth. It's just a downward spiral. So I had work and worked solidly for two years and I said, I'm killing myself, you know, working at these regional houses. I need bigger, better work. I decided to sing for an agent and I only had one agent in mind and it was with a, a big worldwide company called Columbia Artists and I wanted to be with the guy who had all the tenors, and I had Mary Jane make a phone call to get the audition because I couldn't get the audition on my own. Nobody knew who I was, and the guy answered and said, "I'd be I'd be happy to hear him, you know, because I know you." So the guy, the agent that I was wanting to be with, was Mary Jane's old agent's assistant, who did everything for her, and so that's you know it all comes back it's one one big circle yeah um but but he was a great agent and uh and i wanted to sign with him and i did an audition and he signed me and i just couldn't believe it because he had all the stars all the all the people that you see at the met opera stage and all the people that put out cds and just the whole nine and uh so i was very honored to be on that roster and that just shot my career into a different direction altogether yeah, so. so let's let's jump forward a little bit once you you got to that point you know, what have the last few years been like for you as a professional opera singer? Oh, well, there are definitely highs and lows. Um, you know, I've, I've sung at some fantastic places, Lincoln Center, Carnegie Hall, you know, stepping on those stages and, and just knowing what other kind of talent preceded me uh, and what kind of concerts those people have put on and just the musical and artful talent collectively is absolutely insane and knowing that i'm one of those people who i'm a small part of the you know the history of those stages is is pretty incredible it's a ton of travel it is a ton of travel and all over the world too all, not just in the united all states all over the world yeah um i yeah i've sung in north america south america europe um asia almost in africa but not quite um so i've covered i've covered a big part of, a big part of the globe I spent about 11 out of 12 months on the road, which is which is taxing. It's taxing mentally more than anything, but also physically. You're you know you're in a plane every week sometimes, depending on the kind of work that I do. So there are two different kinds of jobs that most opera singers will do. One will be concert work, and the other is operatic work. The difference is that concert work is usually with uh, an orchestra. So I might go be a special guest at let's say Amarillo Symphony. So uh, what happens there is you might fly in on Tuesday. 
you rehearse Wednesday, Thursday, you perform Friday, Saturday, short, one week. An opera is different. Um, an opera, you'll show up, and you're generally dedicating anywhere from three to six weeks of your time right. for an opera because you have to rehearse, and you have to create the staging, and you're acting, and you're building this big production, and then you bring the other team in, which is the tech people, and then you bring in the orchestra, and you know, it just takes a lot of time to build. Um, and those typically take, uh, on average, I'd say about four or four weeks. You're going to spend a solid month somewhere. But sometimes that somewhere is Paris. And right. Sometimes that somewhere is Amarillo, and sometimes that somewhere is in truly in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, some donor will say, "I want to put together a production," and they put you know some great feast together and a great cast, and and you just you know you want to do it, and you're literally out in the middle of nowhere. It's it's an adventure. Uh, to say the least, I know that I, I feel like I've already retired. I feel like I've retired because I love what I do. It doesn't feel like work. I, I love studying the music, um, and I love the performing, and I love the travel, and I've seen so much of the world already. And this is what people work, spend their whole lives building up to do. Um, and so in, in a sense, I feel like I've just been really honored to have done this. Um, did it's, you have a, it's pretty incredible. Did you have a home base during those years? Yeah, so I... I, my storage units, let me tell you where my storage units were. <laughs> my storage units, I had one in Manhattan and I had one in D.C. I had a car parked in D.C. Um, sometimes, you know, for, for a few years I was based out of the Manhattan area. And then the last couple of years I've been based out of, um, out of D.C. But, again, 11 months on the road, that gives you about 30 free days. Usually it's one or two days between gigs where you'd fly into your apartment at, at D.C. You know, you'd fly in. You'd have one day to do laundry. I'll, I'll never forget, I had a six-month stint where I did not have a day off. I would literally fly from one gig to the next gig without even one day to repack. And so I had, from a summer gig in Sanibel, Florida, the island of Sanibel, I had a, I had a big concert down there. And then within that same time, I had a production of La Boheme in Iowa, where the winters are disgusting. Um, people are lovely. Winter is disgusting. <laughs> and so I had sandals and swim trunks to tuxedos and overcoats packed in one thing for six months. Wow. So I became a master packer. It involved, you know, shipping some stuff home or literally leaving things places and just buying stuff whenever you get there. It's part of the territory. So you said, Eric, that you spent, you know, 11 months out of the year traveling. Uh, you're based on the East Coast, and now over the last few months, you have shifted that home base back to Amarillo, mm -hmm. sort of a transitional period for you. So walk me through sort of your decision-making, what, what led to that decision, and, and why come back? Well, the first thought I had um, just dealt with finances. You know, I was I was paying rent for a place that I wasn't living in, and I thought, you know, I'm in my mid-30s, I'm a professional, I'm, I've got a successful career, I should really think about investing my money into a place uh, that I can own instead of giving somebody else uh, the money that they need to pay for their own investments. And so uh, as I thought about it, I looked at locations that would be convenient for me to, to be based out of, uh, easy locations that I could travel out of specifically uh, with airlines. Um, and Amarillo wasn't at the top of my list, but after speaking with a few people, you know, they said, well, you should move back to Amarillo. We'd love to have you here. And my, my voice teacher, Mary Jane, lives here and my closest friends live here as well. And one of the aspects of finding a place to, to place some roots is that whenever I do have that rare 
weekend at home or the rare week at home if I'm lucky. Um, what I want to do is I want to be social. Being on the road is so lonely. And I, I wanted to, you know, go golfing with friends or have the barbecue or, you know, if I were living in Connecticut, maybe go sailing or just explore all these different things that I didn't have exposures to as a younger. There's not a lot of sailing not, here in not, not a lot of – there's a lot of wind though. So maybe maybe if I could get a little dinghy and put it on Lake Meredith, maybe I could learn something. Some kite surfing. Yeah, some kite surfing. So Amarillo, by referral, entered – I was like, OK, well, maybe that is a possibility. My family's close by. And the more I looked into it, the the closer up to the top of the list Amarillo kept on climbing. Um, I do have a voice teacher here. She's She is you know my primary teacher and I do have friends. So if I am gone for a week or two at a time or even a month, I can say, hey, you know, my alarm system went off. Can you go check on it or could you mow my yard or, or whatever? You have friends that you could ask favors for. And you've lived in Amarillo in the past, right? I did, yeah. I lived in Amarillo uh, for a couple of years while I was working on my MBA and I was working with the, the symphony. The reason I took the job with the symphony is because I anticipated – that there would be a possibility I would be going into the performance um, career. And I wanted to know what kind of procedures the front of house went through as well. Um, so I learned a lot doing that. And I knew so many people um, who were in the arts community in Amarillo that uh, it, it felt like home. And and honestly, I'm not surprised that I'm back here because it felt so uh, inviting and the people that I've reconnected with, it, it seems like you know the 10 or 12 years that I've been gone, it seems like it hasn't even passed. You mentioned the high and low points of you know touring permanently, mm-hmm. you know, whether you were only at your apartment one day a month or weren't able to get your laundry finished or something <laughs> yeah. like that. I mean, is, is moving to Amarillo, does it feel to you like you're sort of scaling back the travel aspects of it? I mean, is, is that part of it? Yeah, that is part of it. You know, the the main reason for the move is because, you know, I, I've realized that in the last 10 years, I've been very successful singing. I've, I've traveled all over the world. I've had incredible experiences. I've recorded seven commercial albums. I've done I've done a lot, especially coming from a background um, that started so late. You know, I didn't start singing until you know, after most kids already have 50 roles on their resume and I didn't have any experience. So for me, I have already, I, I felt like I've already accomplished a lot of my goals and there, there is more to life than a career. And I realized that if I want an opportunity to enjoy things like having a family or possibly, uh, you know, getting married, having kids, having a, a more regular lifestyle, that being on the road so much does not factor into that very well. Um, I've had a couple of successful relationships, but they both ended because, you know, women don't typically like it when you're not around. And uh, so to afford myself those opportunities, I said, you know, it would also be a, a good idea to to find a place where I can place some roots and, and maybe scale back on some of the traveling. And so what I've done is um, I've actually started working for a, a company here in Emerald called NCW Insurance. And with them, I, I knew that I could – you know they they've been interested in in talking to me about working for them for about 15 years since I was work, since I was at uh, WT working on my masters and they had said you know what you, you know you should really consider working for us and I said ah oh, thank you but no thank you I'm going to I'm going to try this out talking about trying out singing and um because I had success I just kept on telling them no 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 and then when they realized that I had purchased a house in Amarillo they said oh Oh, so you're going to start working for us. And I said, actually, that's not the reason that I'm moving back, but I would be interested in having a discussion with you. Um, I've known a lot of the partners for um, the entire time that I've been associated with the Canyon Amarillo area. 
and I know their work ethic and I know what they do is, is quality work. And that's the kind of work that I associate myself with. So I knew that it would be a, a fantastic partnership working with them. You know, I thought about it long and hard and thought about how it would affect my career as an opera singer and, and just realized that it would be the best move for me to do that. And I've, I've still managed to do some singing. Um, I, I can now cherry pick what I do. I could do a concert, uh, with the big symphony and, and not really miss any, work with NCW if, if something like that were to come up. What's your official title at NCW? I am currently a risk advisor, okay. which is what my title will be forever. And, and it's the funny thing. I know that that's not what this interview is about, but the funny thing about this company is, you know, I, I will sell insurance. That is that is what I will be doing. But it's 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 not about selling insurance, which is really bizarre. It's about advising companies on the risk that that they're exposed to and protecting their investments. Something that happened to me actually was I was singing in Edinburgh, Scotland. I guess in April it'll be two years. And I had my gallbladder ruptured. I had purchased travel insurance that that truly sa- saved saved my life. Um, if if that had happened anywhere in the States, if I had a hospital visit like that, the, the kind of health insurance I had based out of uh, – my insurance was based out of Texas because that's where my business was based out of even though I was living on the East Coast. It would not have covered me because wow. there, were, there was no coverage out of state. So if I was in New York for a gig and this had happened, I would have been $150,000, $200,000 out of pocket paying for you know what had happened. Uh, luckily, I was in, in Europe and I had some health insurance, uh, some travel insurance that, that saved me. But, you know, it made me think about all the companies, you know, these people, they invest their entire lives and they sometimes sacrifice things with their family to, to get their business going. And having something catastrophic happen to them or even a couple of small things happen to them that could ruin their business or keep it from growing, um, you know, there are ways to protect against that. And so it's something that I was passionate about, especially after this happened to me. Like I said, it was just a great fit. Um, I wouldn't have taken another job if it weren't for this specific job yeah. with these specific people in this specific town. I mean, it's really just uh, come to fruition. It's like it was meant to be. So I'm just I'm trying to imagine to the bio on the website, you know, where most of the other employees yeah. have been in insurance <laughs> for 30 years and you've been yeah. – uh, a world traveling opera singer. It well, doesn't necessarily. Fit. It actually works. Yeah, it actually works pretty well because uh, you know I'm. I don't know that I'd call myself an expert brander, but you know I've worked on my own branding. Um, I asked in one of the initial uh, discussions with one of the partners. I said, "What's my day to day look like?" And whenever they described it to me, I said, "That's exactly what I do right now, except I'm selling myself as a product versus you know s- selling something else." So it's a phenomenal fit and. And honestly, I think that that being a singer as well is just going to open some doors and maybe alleviate some of the pressures of of somebody feeling like I'm selling them something. It's going to be more of a conversation, more of a relationship. You know, being someone who has traveled extensively, who's so tied to the performing arts, uh, you're coming back to Amarillo, a place where you know maybe there's a, a segment of the population who thinks of opera as something completely inaccessible to them, mm-hmm. that they don't care about at all, but also a community that has a very strong performing arts scene mm-hmm. from the symphony to the Emerald Little Theater. I mean, tell me about whether or not you feel at home in this community as a performer. I mean, does it feel like a place that does support the arts for you? Yeah, I, I have a lot of friends living in Manhattan or really anywhere in the world who say, you bought a home in Amarillo, Texas? Why would you do that? And uh, you know, my answer is because it's Amarillo is this little oasis, you know, kind of out in the middle of nowhere that has a ton of culture and it has it has a big city feel. 
in terms of there are tons of activities um, that one can participate in. There are tons of great restaurants. There's a lot of culture. There are live performances. Everything that one would want to take advantage of in a bigger city, Amarillo has, even in comparison to a place like like Lubbock that has, you know, they they have a symphony, but they don't have uh, an opera or, you know, even the musical theater company that they have there is nowhere near equivalent to what ALT, you know, produces. So for me, it's the perfect size, but it's also the, it, it also has that small town feel where I can walk into a grocery store and, you know, greet five or six people and just have little conversations in the aisles next to the spices. And I love that being from, you know, sundown. I, I just love running into people and saying hi. It's just, you know, it gives you, a, I don't know, maybe a feeling of importance or, or just that you're surrounded by people who, who care about you, which after being on the road so much is, is, has grown more important with time. If you've listened to a few episodes of this podcast, you know the best guests are the storytellers. They're able to just hook you in. It comes naturally. And I, I think everyone has a good story to tell, but not all of us are natural storytellers. And it's the same way in business. Marketing is a form of storytelling, but whether you own a small startup or a large company, that doesn't mean the marketing aspect comes naturally to you. That's why ROI Online exists. Based in Amarillo, ROI is a team of marketing experts you would expect to look to Dallas or Boston to find, who will come alongside you and help you tell the story of your business. So if you're to the point of seriously considering upgrading your marketing efforts, ROI could be the business growth partner to help you become the hero in your story of success as a business leader. For the price of just a single employee, you can hire an entire team of creative marketing professionals at ROI. Find them on Instagram and Facebook or let ROI guide you to success at ROIOnline.com. ROI Online, leading the modern marketing movement. Okay, we're back with Eric Berry. Eric, this is the part of the show that I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job is to answer those uh, in as much detail as you like. Uh, I would ask you to sing your answers because you uh, are known for your singing voice, but that might get weird after a little bit. Or it might be in Italian, which we'll we'll see. Understand. Yeah, we'll see what happens. All right. To start, I, I do want to talk about your career. So what's your favorite role to perform? Mm. This is going to be tougher than I thought. I can already tell. I I would say my favorite role is the role of Rodolfo in Puccini's La Boheme. Rodolfo is a uh, – he's a poet who is not very successful and uh, happens to find love. And what's great about the opera itself is that it, it has every aspect that – a theatrical piece would want to have. It's got action. It's got you know fight scenes, even though they're more comedic fighting scenes than serious. Uh, it has love. It has death. It's got you know this full wide range of emotions. And for me, Rodolfo is somebody that I can absolutely relate to. And all the characters. It's kind of like Seinfeld, where everybody knows somebody like Kramer or somebody like Elaine or something. Well, with Bohem, everybody knows somebody like Rodolfo. Everybody knows, you know, the cheesy guy like Chenard or or the real serious philosopher like Colline. And so it's very relatable and the music is absolutely stunning. Um, so I think I think Rodolfo is probably my favorite role, but on the flip side of things as well, you have a, you have an opera like Rigoletto by Giuseppe Verdi, and 
I also love singing this role for for starters. It has three fantastic arias. Um, the most popular that people know are, is probably La Donna Immobile, which everybody's heard. You know, La Donna Immobile, qual più malvento, muta d'accento, so on and so forth. Um, but much, much louder than that. <laughs> um, but everybody knows that piece, and and. My character, the tenor character in Rioletto is – he's the Duke of Mantua and he has access to anything he wants. He's got the money so he, he, he can just point at some woman and he has her. He points at some you know, horse-drawn carriage and he has it. You know? and, and that's such a different departure from Rodolfo and you know, very few of us have that kind of power or those resources. And so becoming something or someone that is completely different from who I am in real life is is also just a ton of fun. So both roles, you know, within their own capacity are, are, are both very, very fun roles for me to sing. Yeah, I, as a follow-up, I wanted to ask you about the dramatic aspect of it because mm-hmm. you, you mentioned that some of your roles involve just going to a place and singing along with a symphony, you know, mm-hmm. in more of a concert setting. Right. Other times you're spending weeks and weeks preparing a full opera. I mean, is Personally, is there a difference when you're performing with a symphony behind you versus when you're performing like in full costume and on stage? Yeah. Well, the costume and the makeup and the sets certainly help get into character as soon as you walk out on stage because you know you walk out and you're suddenly in this castle or something. So that does help. But the type of work that we do, like you said, is typically concert or opera. Operatic work does involve a lot more time because there's staging and there's you know people, a team of people planning this. Um, but concert work is very very quick. Um, and it's usually no sets. You're wearing a tuxedo and you come on stage and you just sing sing the, the music. But yeah, I do – I feel like one of my strengths is that I bring the character to stage even if it's not a character like you know, Handel's Messiah, which is where the Hallelujah Chorus is from. Hallelujah. That is the ending of, of Handel's Messiah and the first aria a lot of people consider boring. It's called – uh, every valley and comfort ye, where this, this the singer is telling these people, you know, everybody be comforted, everything is going to be okay. And a lot of times you go to these concerts, even at the highest, the best concert halls in the world, um, you can go and you'll hear a singer say something, or they'll sing it like this: they'll sing, comfort ye, where they're just singing the pitches and they're singing the note values. Versus, if you're really trying to comfort somebody who's in front of you listening, you'd sing it more. You know, much more inviting. There's much more emotion much on your face when you're singing. Yeah, that yeah, I mean, yeah. There's a difference visually that you right. can't. And and the people are far far more engaged whenever they see and hear that, and suddenly the words come to life. Um, so I think that that's one of my strengths as a concert singer as well. And I love I love both equally. I mean, in in one respect, concert singing is more fun because it's just. You know, in and out in one week, and you just dump all of your emotions on the stage and you move on versus cultivating, you know, a role or something over weeks and weeks. All right, let's go in a totally different direction yeah. now. What's your favorite place to eat in Amarillo? Oh, I mean, you've dined with kings and queens all over the world, but I want to know what you like to eat here. Well, and anybody who knows me knows I love to eat. Oh, gosh. Well, while, while I'm away, I crave more than anything, I crave the burger from hell. And an order of cheese fries from the Cowdy Bluff Cafe, and the burger. From and that's hell, a world famous burger. World from hell. famous burger, and for for very good reason because I've eaten a lot of burgers, and it really is, in my opinion, the best burger I've ever eaten, which is crazy. You have to get it medium on an onion bun, and that's my preference. And it is so. I mean, it's just 
you know, the kind of, you take that first bite and you just sit back and relish, you know, as you're just chewing it and you get all those delicious flavors and it's served hot. You cut it open in half and the steam, oh, you can tell I miss it whenever. Let's, let's take a break around. right now yeah, and we'll yeah. go uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have a burger after, from hell. We'll see you after lunch. Um, but now that I'm in town, you know, I really don't go to the bluff that often. I'd say my favorite place is uh, 575 Pizzeria because I love pizza. It's the New Haven style, which is where Yale is. So I lived there for a few years. And uh, Brian is a, Brian's a good buddy of mine, and I just think he's doing a phenomenal job running that company. And he puts out a delicious, delicious product. It was actually recently rated the best pizza in America yeah, by Urban Spoon. The Omni Pizza. Yeah, the, om- the Omni Pizza specifically. And so if you haven't had the Omni Pizza or or had, you know, just food at 575, guys, you're missing out. Go there tonight. All right. What does this area have too much of? Amarillo. <laughs> Amarillo has too many left red arrows at intersections. Okay. So let me explain. <clears throat> Whenever you're driving, let's say you're at Bell and 34th and you want to turn left on 34th. Well, the two lanes to your right can have green lights where traffic's going like crazy. But if there's no oncoming traffic, I still have a red left arrow, so I can't turn, and it just drives me absolutely insane. At the very least, it should be a blinking yellow light right. or even a blinking red light where you stop, but you can still go if there's no oncoming traffic. But but the solid red light, if there are any civil engineers or city planners or anybody listening to this, let's uh, let's see what we can – and it's also mostly on the west side of town because on the east side of town, I've yet to see a red left arrow. But on the left, on the west side of town, they're just they're everywhere and, and they're I've, terrible. Slowly, I've seen a few newer intersections start to change over. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's not nearly as many as I'd like it to be. It could especially be, right in the middle of town. It could Bell, be an oversight, Hillside. but I'll tell you what, it's frustrating. Yeah, I stand behind you on that yeah. one. What does this area not have enough of? This area doesn't have enough recycling. Okay. Yeah, we we need more recycling. I I got used to that on the East Coast, and of course, it's phenomenal for the environment. Um, but I, I'm not even aware. Of course, I'm a new resident, so maybe things have changed. But I know that in my neighborhood, there is no recycling plan. Uh, there may be something, uh, on the outskirts of town that you can take your products to once a week or once a month or something. I'm not sure. Uh, if recycling isn't an option, since the red lights <laughs> bother me, we could have more, we could have more roundabouts because roundabouts are just incredible. Oh, roundabouts are fun. Yeah. I, I don't know that, uh, Panhandle drivers would take to roundabouts immediately, but having experienced them in, in other places, they do work. They do work, and they're beautiful. You know, in the roundabout, you can have flowers or whatever. The town of Carmel, Indiana, they actually replaced all of their intersections. Uh, they spent they spent some money and replaced everything, put roundabouts in, and traffic violations went down. Um, wrecks in general went down. The cost of operating all of those intersections went down because you don't have lights to re- you know to replace or anything like that. So. I know it'll never happen, but whatever. This if you is, don't this like is, sitting at a traffic this light, this is my interview, and that's what we need more of. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how do you describe Amarillo to outsiders? You mentioned talking to people and saying, "Yeah, I'm moving back to Amarillo," and, and what they thought. I mean, how do you how do you sell Amarillo to them? Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly what I say. Is it's a paradisiacal oasis. It's got everything that one would want. There's a the beautiful canyon on top of that. So, you know, if people are outdoorsy and they want to explore the canyon, you know, it's the second largest canyon in in the United States. And add that with, you know, to the great food, the great people specifically, all of the arts. I mean, why wouldn't 
somebody want to be here. Uh, you can even talk about the economic effect in Amarillo and how it's rarely, even if the the national trend is is downward. You know, Amarillo s- tends to stay strong and, and focused, and um, you know, it's got how, like a little protective. Yeah, bubble it's just us. it's an incredible place. It's an incredible place. Now, I have not asked this question of any other guests, but um, I thought this would be a fun one to ask you. What is your go-to karaoke song? Surely <laughs> what, what it's not your, a selection from What is from your Lava go-to Hand. karaoke song? <laughs> Pour Some Sugar on Me by Def Leppard. Yeah, that's great. Mine would have to be – my favorite uh, isn't at every karaoke place. My absolute favorite karaoke song is If I Ever Fall in Love Again by Shy, but specifically the acapella version. Um, and if a place even has the song, it's the instrumental version, which is too overproduced. Or? It's just not nearly as good. It's just not nearly as good for a number of reasons. So if they don't have the acapella version of that, it's uh, probably my girl because that's something that everybody knows. And you know, as an opera singer, it's fun. It's fun to sing in a different style. It's fun to sing with a microphone where you don't have to create this big sound. So, you know, getting up and you hear that boom, 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 you know, and then you actually, I've got sunshine on a cloudy day. I mean, for me, it's like singing in the shower, man. It's, it's just, does, does it's anybody ever just start booing because you're way too good for karaoke? I or? actually, yeah. Funny story. Like, there's a ringer up here. What I, is he doing? I had somebody tell me not to quit my day job after I finished a song, and I just yelled back, uh, "Sir, this is my day job," and I walked off stage. That's a true story. But, but yeah, I you usually... have to dial it down, though, don't you? I oh, mean, totally, totally. Well, and sometimes it's fun, depending on the crowd, to actually dial it up and make it even more dramatic and more hysterical. Because you know, most people are probably past their limit drinking, yeah. and, and so and they just love it whenever you go overboard. So. When was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch? I actually visited Cadillac Ranch, I can tell you, almost the exact day, May 30th of this year. The month of June, I usually spend in Taos with my voice teacher. Uh, she she created a summer program for younger younger singers called the Taos Opera Institute. And I have spent almost every June there since its inception uh, teaching business classes and acting as a kind of a marketing arm for the school where I go out and sing and say, look, you know, my career is what these young people are aspiring to. Let's help them get to that point, you know, and, and try to help raise some money for the school. But I had a friend come in from Boston who is also going to be singing with me. And so I said, fly into Amarillo. You can see my you can see my new house. You can see the new town I live in. Go and, have a burger from hell. Yeah, go have a burger from hell, even though she's vegetarian. Um and she ate everything but the meat. And on the way out I said, You've you know, you've got to see this. We didn't get to take her to the canyon, unfortunately, but she uh we, we spent fifteen minutes at Cadillac Ranch and found some, you know, found some spray cans that hadn't been fully used and she's painted some of the Cadillacs and took some photos and had a great time. So this is a question I, I ask uh, pretty often. What is your favorite local coffee shop? I usually make coffee at my house. I rarely go out. I would have to say that if if I go out, I've been going to Palace Coffee a lot um, because I like I like the vibe in, in that place. Roasters, of course, is, is always a solid choice as well. So usually it's just wherever's wherever's closest to wherever my craving is. But I haven't been to places like uh, 806 Coffee. I've yet to go there. What I really like is I really like Palace's espresso bean that they use. I like it brewed as opposed – like a, a drip brew as opposed to an espresso shot. 
It's really delicious. So do you buy it and take it home yeah. and make it yourself? Yeah. yeah. And actually the Metropolitan, uh, the Metropolitan um, out on Sansi, if you go there for coffee in the morning, that's actually what they do. That's how I found out about okay. it. Okay. So I would go there and study some music or do some work or something. And, and I said, man, this is really great. What is this? And, and that's, that's a new it. place over in the town square yeah. development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's Laura and Charlie Sellers. They, uh, they opened it up. I don't know when because I've been out of town, but uh, it's a phenomenal phenomenal place to get a drink in the evening or coffee in the morning. Okay, and that uh, concludes the eight straight questions. I'd like to end the show just by asking my guests to endorse something locally, and this can be really whatever you want. So what would you endorse about Amarillo? I would – obviously, I think the, the answer most people are expecting is for me to endorse the arts, but I'm going to throw a change up. There is a, a new brewery that is going to be uh, opening downtown called Six Car Pub and Brewery, and uh, I am really excited about what it's going to do for the downtown scene, especially once the baseball field uh, is built and open. There are actually opportunities right now. They're not open yet. I think I talked with one of the owners earlier today. I think they're they're shooting for a March opening, um, but there are opportunities to be an investor of sorts or an insider as they call it and uh, for you know a sum of money you can uh, help support them give them some some money for their overhead and the perks depending on what package one picks is like free beer for life which is absolutely insane and although I haven't had any of their beer yet because they're not making it I'm really stoked about about being an insider with them and uh, you'll probably find me there you know, maybe every Tuesday and Friday after work. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would hope if if you have have one of those packages that when you walk in, everybody yells your name like you're on Cheers. Oh, totally, man, that'd be sweet. Yeah, the, we'll see if they can add that to the benefits. Package. Or you you try to tip and they say your money's no good here, Eric Berry. Yeah, oh, that would be fantastic. All right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Six Car too. I think that'll be uh, that'll be something really fun. I love that there's you know new construction in downtown Amarillo. Yep. It's going to be part of that, and mm-hmm. that sounds good. Well, Eric Berry, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a it. pleasure. And that concludes another episode of Hey Amarillo. Thank you for listening. I, I want to say thanks also to Eric Berry, my guest. Uh, find out more about Eric. Go to eric-berry, that's B-A-R-R-Y dot com. Uh, there are videos on his website where you can actually listen to him perform. Do that. It's really, really fun. Um, I want to say thanks to ROI Online uh, for sponsoring the podcast. And again, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, One thing I'd I'd like to ask is that if you have not reviewed the show on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, please do so. That's a great way for people to find out about it. Uh, Another good way for people to find out about it is for people to say, hey, here's this podcast I listen to. You should listen to it too. Follow us online at heyamarillo.com, at heyamarillo on Twitter and Facebook. My name is Jason Boyette, and I will see you next week.